when does a pizza cease to be pizza? It's like, it's it's not a pizza once it's a corn tortilla with like cilantro and onions on top and like beef. It's like, that's a taco now. It's just, that sounds ridiculous, but that might be the most ridiculous thing I've ever said, but it's like, sorry, drink a lot of coffee really fast and haven't eaten. So I'm like, I feel like I'm floating out of my body right now. I'm really sensitive to caffeine. <laughs> Greetings, folks. Keith Billick here. Welcome to episode 99 of the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast. And you know what? As proud as I am of being on the cusp of a milestone for the show, the thing that makes my heart swell with pride even more than that is getting to be part of a thriving, supportive, banjo enthusiastic community and folks wait till you hear about all this cool stuff that supporters of the show and part of the picky fingers community have been up to lately i just need to brag for a minute first of all the patreon supporter of the show is will spence and he is a prestigious hall of honor patreon supporter will flew f-14s with the navy but then must have decided he needed something a little more exciting to do so he picked up the banjo and then when he became a commercial pilot later in life he used his layovers in nashville to go over to the station inn layovers in detroit he'd go up to elderly instruments and really just made the most of that so will thank you so much for being a patreon supporter and of course thank you for your service in the navy anybody else who wants to go to patreon.com slash banjo podcast you can become a supporter yourself now, I mentioned other supporters of the show doing great, great things. First off, we have Dan Shaw with the band The Millbillies, who won the band contest at the John Hartford Memorial Festival. And evidence suggests that they won this contest while Dan was wearing his official Picky Fingers podcast t-shirt. So I'm not saying the shirt caused them to win, but I, I like to think that it gave Dan just that extra extra mojo that he needed to have the edge in the contest and if you want to check out those t-shirts go to banjopodcast.com so congrats once again to dan shaw and the millbillies another supporter of the show doing fantastic things is gabby cameron gabby is the 2022 recipient of the ibma foundation's neil rosenberg bluegrass scholar award and that is for her presentation titled the jewgrass situation an examination of Nefesh Mountain's political message. And not only is Gabby a Patreon supporter of the show, but she also cited the interview that I did with Eric Lindbergh of Nefesh Mountain as part of her presentation. So, Gabby, thanks for supporting the show and congrats to you for receiving this great award. Next up is Peghead Nation, a longtime sponsor of the show. Congrats to Dan Gable and everyone else at Peghead Nation for being one of IBMA's 2022 Distinguished Achievement Award winners. So when I'm always babbling about how cool Peghead Nation is, you don't have to take my word for it. They are being recognized throughout the industry. So congrats again to Peghead Nation, and thanks for being a supporter of the podcast. And last but not least is another Patreon supporter, Renee Redman. She has been a longtime supporter, but I'm giving her another shout out because she had such an impact on today's featured guest and everyone should listen for stories about Renee within this uh, episode's interview. So once again, thanks Renee for your support. And of course, thank you for inspiring a new generation of fantastic banjo players. So yeah, 
lot of cool stuff happening for supporters of the show. And I think the only logical conclusion we can make is that those who choose to listen to and even support the Picky Fingers Banjo podcast, good things happen to you folks. So head on over to patreon.com slash banjo podcast and wait for the fame and fortune and riches to flow your way. And of course, if doing the Patreon thing is not your style, you can still support the show. Drop me a line at pickyfingersbanjopodcast at gmail.com. Like, subscribe, do all the, you know, social media algorithm things to help boost the show and uh, spread the word that way. That all helps a ton and is greatly appreciated. This episode's featured guest is Caleb Dostal of the Lil Smokies. Caleb is a relatively recent addition to the Smokies, who are a mainstay on jamgrass stages all over the country. Now, as you will hear from this interview, Caleb is a very thoughtful and intentional type of musician, and I think he has some great insight for people who are looking to look at their approach to playing the banjo in new ways and i love how he talks about designing the arc of a solo even an improvised solo and that might seem contradictory but you'll just have to listen and find out so please make welcome to the picky fingers podcast caleb dostal I live in Missoula, Montana right now. I've been out there since I was about uh, nine years old. Yeah, shortly after I moved out there, my mom, she put a, a bluegrass record on, and it had uh, the first song that came on was Dueling Banjos, okay. actually. And so you moved out there like with your family as a kid kind yeah, of thing? Yeah. Okay. And that's still where I'm at, and that's uh, where the band that I currently tour with, the Little Smokies, originated. And so... Yeah, shortly after we move out there, my mom, she puts on this bluegrass record and it was dueling banjos. And I think it was like, it was just that juxtaposition between how it starts and then the rolling banjo sound Yeah, that I just like, the second I heard it, I was like, wait, how, how, how do you make something sound that way? Huh. You know, I, it started out of curiosity. It was like, because it sounded to me like there were two instruments playing at once when I heard that, because it starts out with just like a linear melody, like... You know, we're not going to do that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, and then when it kicks into that, like, rolling Scruggs banjo sound, yeah, yeah. I think that juxtaposition between the two made me curious. It was like, because that's kind of what you do as a banjo is you play melody and rhythm at the same time. That's, yeah. like, what's so cool about Scruggs. And so I just was curious how to do that. Huh. And I wanted to do it immediately. And I didn't know this at the time, but I was doomed to be a banjo player because my grandpa played. And so did his. Oh, so apparently it like skips a generation. Somebody's curse to have to endure so, this but instrument. But your was this is this your maternal or paternal side of the of the family? Uh, maternal. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So so your 
your mom did not play or anything like that? No, yeah. she loved bluegrass music and grew up with it around the house and stuff. But and, and, Which is why she had this dueling banjo yeah, record yeah, to, she's, to put on. That's cool. She's a bluegrass fanatic, and she took me, she absolutely encouraged this. The second that I was interested in it, she took me around to festivals all over the country. We'd go all over the place together. And um, yeah, I was only 11 years old when I started playing, and she... And didn't have any idea about your grandfather or I had whatever no it would idea be, great, I, great grandfather. Yeah, or, I had no idea when I started playing, oh, which how cool. is so spooky. And I, yeah, yeah I mean, how curious. Yeah, there was no escape from my fate, so. Well, and that's great that you had such internal support at, yeah. at home too. Absolutely. Yeah. So how did you actually come to, to get one in your hands and, and start learning yeah. how to put things together? Yeah, so there was a like really crappy little like tiny guitar laying around the house. And I was like, downstairs like picking out the the melody of dueling banjos like on it and my parents are like wow he really is going at it and so they got me a banjo and there was a local group that was playing around missoula i can't remember um her name is renee redmond she she really played a pretty vital role in the early days of my exposure to bluegrass but she had a little group that played around missoula and they used to play weekly at a golden corral in town. And so my mom remembered that and she picked up one of their CDs and there was a phone number on the back of it. And she's like, let's call them and see if they have stuff going on. Okay. And she did. She had an open mic thing going on at a place called Wheat Montana. And this is still Renee? We're still Renee, yeah. And she had a weekly thing called Kids in Bluegrass she would do. And you could get up and play tunes. She'd have like a 30-minute segment. And so... I was immediately after I started playing had a place to go perform in front of people yeah, how once a week. It was wow. insane. And I'm so grateful for that time period in my life and for the role that she played and all that. What kind I, of stuff yeah. were you learning? Like what what would we have seen yeah. young uh, Caleb performing yeah. at those things? I was immediately obsessed with the really trad stuff. Like I loved Earl Scruggs um, and I loved J.D. Crow. The Bluegrass Album Band was all I listened to. Darling, he tore the toy heart. I think I played the game right from the start. This toy heart was broken with hard words as well. Darling, he tore the toy Like that was definitely what I loved. I couldn't get away from any of that. And the band that played there was really traditional like that too. Okay. And the jams that went on around Missoula were all really traditional. So that was my foundation was the the deep roots of this music and I love it to death still. Is Missoula where Greg Boyd's yep. shop is too? Yep. So there's exactly. kind of a community for it, it sounds it like. It was the perfect place for me to end up. I, I'm still astonished by it, you know, because I Greg Boyd also played a very vital role in my formative years. He, I could go to that shop anytime I had a problem. Yeah. You know, it was right there, and he was more than happy to encourage me. And he's been a mentor and a guide. You know, like all these people played. It, it was it was the ideal place for me to be. And then, of course, that's where the Smokies were, who I'm touring with now. And yeah, I met them shortly after I started playing. You know, they were busking outside a bar, and so I used to play fill-in gigs with them like 15 years ago. Wow. You know, I, so I didn't even was, realize they had been going that long. That's great. Yeah, they've been. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think they knew either. 
<laughs> until recently. Yeah. So how, what were you actually doing to learn? Were you taking lessons? Or are you just yeah. able to fig- figure things out by ear? Yeah, well, I, I definitely was just learning by myself, like self-taught for a little while. I had, I picked up those videos, the Murphy method. Sure. Yeah. And I was, that's really how I started figuring out how to play, learning the rolls, forward roll, reverse roll, square roll, started hacking away at that stuff. <clears throat> and those really helped me and they, they were good for me when I was starting. And then, like I said, my mom and dad were super encouraging. And so they, they would take me to every jam possible, every bluegrass festival. Me and my mom would drive through like winter storms to go to like some tiny town in Idaho. Oh my God. Where there was like this thing called bluegrass in the barn where people would get to, I mean, it was like, we would go everywhere and just, I think she was just so excited that I, that I wanted to, you know, (laughs) she might've knew it was coming because, you know, apparently someone's gonna, like even my grandpa said, he was like, I knew somebody was gonna like pick it up. It's like Game of Thrones type of stuff here. (laughs) It's like some epic, epic familial lineage. It's weird. No, I mean, I'm really into this stuff, and I don't think I have the commitment to drive through a Montana winter no, storm man. to get to, like, little bluegrass. <laughs> it's amazing we made it, some of those drives, man. I'm like, oh, I, I want to do that now. Like, <laughs> No, I'm from Michigan, and, and I I can't imagine the, yeah, yeah. the open Montana stuff yeah, where there's no one for miles. Yep. That's crazy. So did you have anyone to play with in those years? I mean, you, oh, you yeah. said you you filled in with the Smokies, but... yeah. Um, no, I was, pl- I was, that's the thing. That's what's so cool about it is I was performing in front of people before I even really knew how to play the instrument. Like, like, so that Renee Redmond that I was talking about, she put on this like festival at her house and I met one of my best friends that, that day, um, on stage. Like he's a fiddle player. His name's Jesse Brown. We, we play in a band called the Timber Rattlers in Missoula. And his first words to me were, it's in the key of A. And I was like, I don't know what that means. <laughs> like that's how m- little I knew about, and I was already playing, yeah. you know? And so like, I just like, she would just, I, I had opportunity after opportunity to get on stages and play with people. And there were jams all over the place, festivals around. Yeah. So there was no shortage of people to play with. And yeah. So every week I got to go perform in front of people and try out stuff that I thought was cool. And it was ideal, you know? I mean, it's your, your gratitude is definitely apparent in, in the way yeah. that you you had those surroundings. But like, are you able to articulate maybe what what you think you gained from being just put in those situations before you were really ready for them? Yeah. Well, I think it made me a player that's willing to take some risks. Like, because I just. I was playing on a stage before I knew how to play. Right, right. <laughs> so I think like right away I was okay with kind of doing uncomfortable things. Like, and so I do feel like I'm like that. I feel like I do, I, I make mistakes on stage that are like sometimes not great. Like, <laughs> but I just like, I, I'm trying stuff. Like I'm trying to go, I'm trying to always push myself into a place that's maybe a little uncomfortable because that's fun. Like it's not really fun to play. Sometimes you play it safe, you know, sometimes you have to like, you know, if there's a certain person sitting in the audience that you don't really want to make, you know, it's like maybe you're going to play it a little cooler or yeah. whatever. Maybe you're just not feeling it that day. It's like there's a number of things that might make you kind of reel it in a little bit. But I do like to kind of experiment with things that are at the edge of what I can do. I think that keeps you wanting to play and keeps music exciting, you know. So you're not comfortable unless you're uncomfortable is what, yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. is what I hear you say. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Maybe that's it. And when did you start to hear maybe some nuggets of like your own style emerging or what, what did you mm-hmm. think as you were developing were like the important things 
to work on. Yeah. Well, like you said, the first of the first three years of my playing, I just wanted to know how to play like really good Scrug style JD uh-huh. Crow. JD Crow was probably my ultimate hero. Not probably, he was. And I, I just really wanted to play like all those bluegrass album band kicks. Like that was what I wanted to do. Just play okay. those perfectly. And I loved that stuff. And it was like three years into my experience on this instrument that somebody invited me to go to a Punch Brothers show. And I just, like, I had all I had heard up to that point was, like, regular old bluegrass. Uh-huh. And then when that happened to me, I just, I remember almost walking out of that show, like, upset. You held its hand, you always were a sweet young that what do they think they're doing you know what i mean like i was so taken aback by that that again it just i was just curious so i went to a local music store and bought every record they had Uh because i was it was again just driven by this curiosity like what what is it what are they doing you know yeah and i became obsessed with that like interesting yeah and so then i just wanted to play like no like that was that was where i started setting my sights and that kind of I was really intimidated by melodic banjo playing, right? I was like, I, I don't know if I could do that. And I started messing around with some stuff, and I was like, oh, this actually makes perfect sense. It's hmm. like, use the open strings where you can. You know, you kind of maintain that rolling banjo engine on the right hand. But yeah. you, And so it made sense to me. And so I started learning fiddle tunes and stuff and got really excited about that style. And so... I think it was a while before anything that might be considered me started to come out, but I think ideally what I think it's sort of what everyone's striving for is is for those three styles, you know, melodic single string um scrugs to kind of become one new thing, you know. And that's what I love yeah. about Gnome's playing is it he he really achieved that, I think. Is there anything you're able to to share that you maybe remember specifically getting from gnomes playing or or maybe a way that you worked to to integrate those three styles for yeah. yourself i mean the thing that struck me about his playing is like I, I, there's like there's like a brian sutton record that he plays on where i can't remember the tune but he's just like he's playing the melody like not only note for note but every single little pull off and mm-hmm. trill and like every little thing is like exactly the same as how the fiddle or the guitar would play it yeah and that's what blew my mind and so I think I pay a lot of attention when I'm putting together a song, uh, a tune, to those things, to making sure those things are in the right places and yeah. and um, expressed in an exciting way, I guess. I, it's kind of hard to explain, but yeah. I, I, that's what I love about his playing. is the, It's impressive in that way. 
Um, and it's just so clean, you know. It's all the little subtleties that he the subtleties, puts yeah, in. the subtlety, the nuance. It gives playing substance, you know, and and mm. it's just something to always strive for. Is there anything that that you're playing with the with the band or or otherwise that you think is a good example of a way that you've added some of that mm-hmm. expressiveness or or been able to mimic a, be, a fiddle, something like that? Be hard to think of off the top of my head. Yeah, no, I'm putting you on the, you the yeah, spot. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's hard to think of those things off the top of your head, you know. But the, I think the Smokies have provided me with challenges that are other than that. I would say, hmm. like what? It's sometimes it's hard to find your place as a banjo in that group. You know, oh. there's some of the tunes where it's like, oh, what this needs is me to be there and not be there. Yeah, like right. I, you know what I mean. Like you're playing a vital place in this tune by not really being there like your mm. textural your ambiance you're like some sort of like yeah and and then there are things like extended solos is a thing for me that's challenging me now like yeah trying to like trying to do that on a banjo like take a minute and a half two minute solo is challenging uh-huh. it's it because just because the nature of this instrument like to to for that solo to have an arc that maintains the audience and doesn't, you know, I, I had, I, there was a lot of face planting for me the first, like, and I still do yeah, because I'm still figuring it out. It's a, it's a challenging thing on this instrument because you don't really have the sustain and the, you know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't want to, <laughs> I definitely I know what you mean. I, I don't want to, I have a lot of trouble with this stuff too. Absolutely. Yeah, I don't want to do the whole thing. Like a crappy carpenter blames his tools thing, uh-huh. but it's like, it is a challenge, you yeah. know, it's not like, yeah. So I'm I'm trying to I'm experimenting with that and trying to figure it out. It you know it's hard. I mean I'm I would love to dig even deeper into into basically everything you just said if if you're yeah. into it. Yeah. So it's like a good topic. like let's let's set it up a bit for people who aren't familiar with uh, the Little Smokies, mm-hmm. which is so hard to pronounce. Lil Lil like Lil. you just got to yeah. do it like that, right? Mm-hmm. Lil 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 Smokies. Yeah. yeah. The Smokies. <laughs> uh, Everyone just calls them the Smokies. The Smokies. They're the Smokies. We can, we can do that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think they like that. Too. Tell people what, yeah, what what is that band all about, or like what what would people expect to hear when they go to a, a Smokies show? Yeah, well, it's they, this is something I've always thought about them because it's like I was a fan of this band like my, my whole life. You know what I mean? Because uh-huh. I had a lot of my formative years were around town, Missoula, Montana, just like bar gigs with them and stuff. And I always thought right away that they were they were creating a niche sound, you know, it's like, it's not jammy. It's not necessarily, it doesn't necessarily fit into that category and it's not traditional and it's not, it's not like that kind of like Boston progressive string band thing. Yeah, It's not that either. It's something that's other and I don't really know. And I think that's why sometimes I'm struggling to find the banjo parts is because it's, it's definitely sort of a, a new thing in a way, but it's very, melodic it's very by melodic i don't mean like melodic banjo i mean like it's it's very vocal like vocal kind of melody like a lot of that yeah yeah. like a lot of the melodic hooks are kind of like simpler in ways you know what i mean like not like not complex melodies but they're they're vocal in ways and i I, i've always loved that about this band and so sorry i rambled a bit where what was the original question (laughs) just sort of the give people an overview of of the smokies type of sound Mm -hmm. and, and how they approach their presentation yeah, it's really hard to describe, and I and I I feel like like when I'm traveling and people are like, oh, you're in a band, like what do you do? And and I try to describe, <laughs> I, like I don't really know what to say. I would say just listen to them, 
and decide for yourself because yeah. I just I just kind of think it's it's in its own little slot. I don't know. So you know? given given the fact that you, you've mentioned a couple times about having to figure out where what your place is exactly in the band, yeah. um, how much has been informed by the fact that they've been a band for a long time before before you joined? I, I would assume that you that you have examples of somebody else having played banjo on, on a lot yeah. of these songs. How much do you try to? take in information from that or are yeah. you intentionally trying to like start fresh with uh, yeah. whatever your contribution is going to be? Yeah, I def I definitely, well, one thing I should, I thought for a second about the last thing you just said. Basically, the Smokies, it's a rock and roll band that plays bluegrass instruments. Like, okay. it, it really feels that way at times. That's maybe like an oversimplified way of saying it, but like it, it kind of comes across that way at points. You know, there's a lot of 70s rock influences in Americana yeah. and stuff like that. Anyway, that's maybe that's one way of putting that. I, when I first started hacking away at some of the stuff, it's well, it's funny. Some of the old stuff I kind of already knew. Like I already yeah. had parts because I like I played with the band for like did fill and stuff for like three years, and so I kind of <laughs> just started yeah. playing the songs again. Yeah, like some of the stuff that's on Changing Shades and um, the album prior to that. But I definitely went into it, just wanted to do whatever I wanted. I didn't listen to what anyone else did. I, okay. I, I didn't want to do that. I just wanted, to, because I, I wanted it to be a creative challenge for me. So I, did, I didn't want to take what anyone else had done. So mm -hmm. I wanted it to push my playing to a different place. And it absolutely did. That was the thing, you know. Especially since a lot of the recordings I <laughs> was practicing with were like, they were playing these songs way faster than they ever played them now. And I oh, thought that's really? what it was going to be like. So you came so in my guns blazing. <laughs> yeah. So my technique had to go to a place that's never been, you know, because I was wow. like, I'm going to be playing this song at this speed in front of like how many people? Like, oh man. You know, well, so I was maybe, like really shedding that, you know, and then they're like, oh yeah, we never do that anymore. And I'm just like, oh, okay. No, I mean, <laughs> if, if anything, I think usually the energy of a live performance tends to make things even faster than they're recorded. Totally, so I think that exactly. would even be scarier. <laughs> it, yeah, there's a couple of them that were very scary. I'm like, there's no way I'm not going to take solo on this. Like, this is not happening, man. So yeah, for sure that, yeah. Folks, we are in a golden age of online instrument instruction, and at the top of that world is Peghead Nation. Peghead Nation has streaming video courses in banjo, guitar, mandolin, fiddle, dobro, upright bass, and ukulele, so you can learn bluegrass, old time, and plenty of other styles from some of the most talented players and instructors in all of Roots Music. Check out 
the courses they have, and this is just for banjo, you could get beginning or bluegrass banjo with Bill Evans, Clawhammer banjo with Evie Layden, Wade Ward style banjo with Bruce Molsky, the banjo according to Danny Barnes, and contemporary bluegrass banjo with Wes Corbett. Each of those courses include high quality video lessons, downloadable notation and tab, play along tracks, and plenty of tunes and songs to play. And the best thing yet is you're gonna get your first month free just by being a listener of this show. So go to pegheadnation.com and use promo code PICKYFINGERS at checkout and claim your free month of the best instruction out there. And if you find yourself needing a banjo or accessories to get ready for those Peghead Nation courses, I highly recommend you check out Elderly Instruments, which is the world's most trusted source of new used and vintage stringed instruments, including banjos, guitars, violins, mandolins, ukuleles, all that stuff. They're going to have the best instruments you can find anywhere. And we're talking everything from the more affordable instruments for people starting out on up through the most highly sought after vintage instruments. Elderly Instruments has been family owned since 1972. And if you can't make it to their Lansing, Michigan showroom, you can see their full selection at elderly.com or give them a call at 517-372-7880 for some professional advice on all of your banjo and other stringed instrument needs. And you know what all these stringed instruments have in common? They all sound better with GHS strings. GHS Strings is another sponsor of the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast, and I'm proud to say they have been made in Battle Creek, Michigan since 1974. And if you don't want to take my word for it, maybe you'll believe such people as J.D. Crow, Sonny Osborne, and Bela Fleck, just a few of the many, many users of GHS Strings. So go check them out, ghsstrings.com. They have a wide selection of gauged sets, so that no matter what you're looking for, you'll be able to find something there. You mentioned that it, uh, I, I forget what your, your exact phrase was, but you said something about it's, you've taken your playing to places that it hadn't gone before and trying to work out yeah. these songs. Are, are there any like specific song examples of, yeah. of something that you came up with that... Mm-hmm old Caleb would not have probably thought to do? Yeah. Well, a lot of it was like trying to figure out, like I, like I talked about with these extended solos. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of songs where we where we do go into like a little bit of a extended, I'm not sure I would call it a jam, but like extended solo sections. Um, and I just kind of would put put it on and just hack away at it and just like, really what you're doing is finding what doesn't work. Like, I don't know if you're finding uh-huh. what what works, you're just hacking away at it and listening and being like, that was really bad. Like that, that didn't achieve. And listening back to live recordings, some of the first ones I played with the band, mm. just being like, that was, that really was awkward when you did that. It didn't work at all. Huh. You know what I mean? And so it's, it's a process of elimination more than finding what works, I think. And it's, it's I think that's kind of how starting to figure that stuff out worked for me. Um, but I also wanted to approach some of these solos like that are kind of like, some of the songs, there's just like traded quick solos instead of kind of extended sections. And I just wanted to find out how do I, well, because like a lot of the songs were being played at insane tempos. Yeah. So I was like, like how do I have a solo of substance at these yeah. tempos and not just resort to like, you know. like. So what's what, your answer? 
I, again, it was like a process of just hacking away at it and finding out what doesn't work. And one thing that worked, and I actually talked to Ryan Kavanaugh about this. He actually, he actually was really helpful about all this is like just playing, playing stuff that's more vocal, which really works for the Smokies. Cause like what I was talking about is it's, it's very much a, like a lot of their material is that way. It's not complex, like crazy. Some of it is, but it's not generally like very complex melodies. Yeah. You know, it's a different thing. And so like, just like more vocal, like double stoppy kind of stuff, like. You know, like kind of getting into. Like kind of stuff like that works really well on like maybe a song like Decades, if you listen to that one. Sometimes that one gets up to a, a little higher tempo. Coming into the solo with stuff that's just like bigger kind of like chordal or melodic kind of stuff like that and, and allowing yourself to improvise with that, you know, like go anywhere with it. Like that kind of stuff over yeah. things that are like actually kind of pumping, like the tempo's moving. Right. Sounds really cool. You don't have to go in like, you know. <laughs> you know, it's like, even though that stuff might get a good response or whatever, like that's not what we're after at the end of the day anyway. Like I, I feel more from, you know, like that kind of stuff. It, it does more for me. It moves me, you know? And yeah. so at first I was like, oh man, I'm going to be doing stuff like, you know, like, and then <laughs> it just, when I listened back to it, I'm like, it sounds ridiculous. Right. And then when I did stuff like, it just did more for me. And so. I guess that's what I mean by that process of elimination. I listen back and I'm like, how about a lot less of that and a lot more of that? More you of know? this stuff. Yeah. And I guess to your point, when, you, when you're trying to make an arc of a minute or two long solo, yeah. you, you don't have anywhere to go when you, when you start off that's with your the thing. up the neck melodic. Yeah. And uh, that's an uncomfortable place to be when you have nowhere yeah. to go. <laughs> and I even, I, I even think of... Like you listen to old like fiddle breaks, mm -hmm. you know, you get like two lines of the song and the first half of his solos are these beautiful long bows yeah. before he switches into his sixteenth yes. notes. So like even yes. even on a really short solo, there's still that arc of yep. this uh, you know, beautiful setup exactly. and then a bit of you know, right. maybe a little more excitement right. for the for the next half. I'm going down the railroad track 
Oh. Yeah, no, another thing is, and I, you know who's like, seriously, my ultimate hero is Matthew Davis. Like, that guy just, <laughs> I can't get over how amazing of a musician he is. Uh-huh. Like, and I was listening to his podcast with you, and he talks about how sometimes when he improvises, he only thinks rhythmically. Because he said that, like, there's actually more options rhythmically than harmonically, which is, you know, that's like, when I heard that, I was like, whoa. Right. You know, because then I'm like, well, I don't have to think so much about, like, doing stuff like this or whatever. I can think about, how about I just take something that, like this and just do rhythmically interesting stuff with it. You know, like, that, and then... You know, just like that's, and you hear that in his playing, and it's the most exciting thing about his playing to me is, you know, because fundamentally at the end of the day, we all have the same fretboard to work with. Yeah. We, it's, it's more about, well, I, I just thought that was not so exactly. Cool. We'll get to your well, fretboard. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but so that, that's another thing I started thinking about is like, how about approach these solos rhythmically? How about your priority is, is thinking about how to make it interesting rhythmically? Hmm. And that, I, I just love that when he said that it's it's something I've never forgotten and like think about a lot more now. And when you approach a solo rhythmically, that's that's what you're thinking of is just taking a, a basic yeah. shape and how to throw the accent around. A right, bit. right. Of course, you have to think about the harmony, right? Because it's not like you know, if, if this is like a pretty like song in D, you can't like you know. Right. Um, so of course, like common sense there, but like, yeah, it's just that you're. I think that what you make your primary focus in your head when you go into a solo is just, you just walk into it saying that. Hmm. And it does something different to your playing. It just does, you know? Yeah. And I, I, I've really noticed that to be an insanely helpful thing for generating new ideas and, and staying excited about music. It's because it's such, I mean, it's obviously such an important part of music. Yeah. It's like, it's not music if there isn't rhythm. It's just... It's just, or it's just like frequencies. Yeah, right, right. You know, it's just, so I just think that's so cool. You know. Yeah, that I mean, I I, I think I have the same respect for Matt's Man, playing as you do. So yeah. it, anything he says, I'll just take. It. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that's that's, that's like, a good yeah. idea. <laughs> yeah. Amazing, amazing. Such a good guy too. In a more general sense, do you have a way that you work on improvising? Man, that's like an eternal thing, right? You know, and I, I feel like... That's why I asked. I, I would love to, to hear, yeah. hear your opinion about well, it. Well, the thing I've come to accept is like when it comes to those extended solos, a roadmap is, is good. Hmm. Like I, I wish I could maybe be one of those people that's like, no, nah, I'm just going to go in guns a blazing and something amazing is going to come out. It's like yeah. sometimes you do that and that happens, but sometimes you do that and you live a life of regret. You know, it's right. like I don't... And so... I like to have a roadmap. You know, it's hmm. like I know those things that I'm going to end the solo with. Like, doesn't mean I'm going to play a note for note thing the same every time. Maybe there are things I do that with. Like, I have a good exit strategy. But just a general roadmap of like the arc of the solo, I think, is hmm. wise. And if it, if it's, it depends on the song. Like, if it's just a more open thing, like there's one tune we play, uh, Rain in Durango, and then we go into this like B minor jam kind of thing like this kind of stuff and that one i have no plan on like it that's one where i just want to see what happens you just kind of vibe yeah and and so i think you need to be aware of 
material you're dealing with. That's one where you can just get spacey and weird and, and go on an adventure. Mm-hmm. But there's some where that's maybe not, maybe you need to like prepare a little bit before you go into battle. You know what I mean? It's like, give, it's, give an example of one that you've done that with. What's another song that you, that you stuff. play that you, that you maybe do have a little more yeah. structure to What's without, without one? ruining, uh, everyone's, yeah, yeah, everyone's exactly. experience yeah. now that, now that yeah. they know what you're up to. Um, um, why am I spacing the name of the song? Sorry, drink a lot of coffee really fast and haven't eaten. So I'm like, <laughs> I feel like I'm floating out of my body right now. I'm really sensitive to caffeine. <laughs> um, what, let's see, what is it? I'll let people know that you have a valid excuse for over-caffeinating yeah. yourself. What, what what time was your set last night? Oh, yeah. We, or this morning? So right? we, we literally walked on stage at 2 a.m. Yeah, that's ridiculous. And that's when I started contemplating all my life choices. <laughs> but yeah, we played till 3.30 and, and got back to the hotel at like 4.30. So yeah, it was, it, but it was, it's, it was a blast. It was a good time last yeah, night. It was yeah. fun. The crowd was amazing. Really great people. Man, what is the but name of the song? coffee. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's only so, so long that you're going to be able to get away with the I'm the new guy excuse. I know it. It's starting to, <laughs> it's already happening. <laughs> Like when you walk out on the Del Fest stage and forget um, your pack for your oh, in-ear monitors. Oh, did you do that? Yeah, and then you just frantically run off stage and tell nobody. And <laughs> <laughs> that they think you're having like a bathroom emergency or something. <laughs> I, yeah, that's what I told them. But now, now the secret's out. Now they're going to hear this podcast and I'm going to be in trouble. This is bad. Yeah. Um, yeah, might as well. There's a banjo solo that's over chords that are not like typical of like an extended solo. Like it's not... It's not like that other tune I was talking about where it's like this B9, B minor 9 thing kind of thing going on. It's not like that at all. And that tune, the roadmap is like kind of what I talked about with this Matt Davis situation where it's like I'm, I, on the second I walk in, I'm saying this is a rhythmic solo. We're, we're talking for, about the B minor song right now? Or no, we're, no talking we're talking about, about might, as might as well. Okay. Yeah. Um, so it's like I start off with this kind of like, like this uh, A minor 9 type thing. And I'll just play with it and kind of move it around, you know? And I'm just thinking about rhythm, like just how to make it rhythmically interesting, you know? It's kind of just a rolling. And then, uh, and I just play with that for like maybe the first eight bars or something, you know? Okay. And it's it, it feels totally acceptable to do that. Like it's, there's a lot of suspense in that. You're like. Like especially over the chords of that tune. Yeah, what is it, the band doing during yeah. all that? Oh, the start starts on a C, E minor, G, D. So it's like. So that's kind of the melody, or sorry, the chords, and so. It's just acceptable to play with these sounds over that and just do cool rhythmic things. And it's really suspenseful, like this kind of thing and this. Like all that kind of yeah, stuff has cool. a lot of suspense. And so the audience is immediately like, what is going to happen? Right. You know, and that's what you should do. Like, I, that is one thing I do feel firmly about with extended solos. It should be like a little mini, like heroic adventure. It should like. Yeah, should I love be, that. Yeah, I'm I'm obsessed with like union archetypes, and that's a whole rabbit hole that, for some reason, I feel like Ricky Meyer and I could go down really deep after <laughs> listening to this podcast. I feel like so if you're out there, man, we should we should talk 
stuff. Union like archetypes. What did yeah. you say? Union archetypes. Union archetypes. Oh, Jungian. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. I'm just. Misheard you. I'm so obsessed with that, and like I really believe that a good solo is expressing like a mini kind of like heroic adventure. Is like what's happening where there's that moment where the hero's down, and it's like it's like ah, what's going to happen? And then there's all kinds of enemies and to fight and there's conflict all kinds of, yeah yeah there's like there should be that in the solo where it's like maybe it looks like it's about to fall apart and then you <laughs> heroically come out on top you know what i mean that's what makes yeah. people go yeah it's like that's what everyone wants you know and that's what you want out of your solo you want to be on the edge like that where it's like ah this is oh, am Ooh. i gonna make it out and then you stick the landing and it's like yes you know that's that's like i don't know i'm getting like chills even just talking about that because that's that's kind of what you're always after oh yeah i love that yeah that's cool so i i do feel firmly about that as strange as that sounds that like that's what a good solo actually is hmm. and so keep going with it where does it where does it go after you've built yeah, the the suspense yeah. or, or so there's like these kind of sounds going on and i i know like a younger version of myself used to think well that's not improvising like you're using the same thing but it, that's not true you know hmm. it's like i don't I, I firmly believe that that's not true now um, that it's okay to go in with like this is these are my tools I'm using for this solo, because that's if like that's what music is anyway is it's eliminating a bunch of possibility down into right. one, you know what I mean? It's like you have to do that for yeah. it to be music. The, you have to choose it, yeah. a, a rhythmic motif. You have to choose a melody. You have to choose chords. It's just like cooking. It's like it wouldn't make sense if you just took every spice there was and threw them all in. It's like that doesn't taste good. <laughs> Nobody would eat that. And it also doesn't make sense that after you've figured out a spice that works for a dish, what you're not allowed to use that anymore Exa because yeah. you've already done that. Exactly. Before. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's like in this dish, these are the things that are generally used, and then you play around a little bit with 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 things. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. It's like when does a pizza cease to be pizza? It's like, it's it's not a pizza once it's a corn tortilla with like cilantro and onions on top and like beef. It's like, that's a taco now. It's just, that sounds ridiculous, but it's, it might be the most ridiculous thing I've ever said, but it's like, I, the, the, I'm trying to make excuses for why I, I'm not actually improvising. I'm, I'm just, but, but there's like, you know, I think it's okay to say, this is what I am have creatively selected. Mm -hmm. and then do creative things with it. Because there's a billion things you could do anyway if sure. you just start here. You know, so I have a roadmap and I kind of start there and then start getting into this, like, I'll tease the melody a little bit. This is the little, this simple little melody. And so I'm all, I might just kind of like... And at that point, it's something that the listener would probably be familiar with yes. from having heard the yes. song up to right. that point. Right, right, because you've kind of had them on the edge, right? Yeah. And then they come back to being like, oh, this is some solid ground. Like yeah. they were on shaky ground for a minute. And then it's like, okay, I'm with you now. Yeah, you yeah. know, things aren't quite, you know, and so you can play with that. You know, and then I'll go into kind of like, and then it's okay at that point to start getting into like some more kind of shreddy single string stuff. You're starting to build the drama, you know what I yeah. mean? It's like... You know, like you can start getting into stuff like that. It's totally acceptable. And then at that point, you know, one part, one thing that's really awesome about being in the band with great musicians is they'll follow you. Yeah. And so then I think you can at that point kind of almost let go of the roadmap because there's something mm -hmm. about that when that says, when they start building up behind you that you just go into a place where you lose track of like time and space and all that and you just are truly in the flow. 
kind of thing. And so then from there, I kind of do let whatever happens happen. And the coolest part about it is it's usually good because you're just excited and you're feeling that rush and that thrill that we all love about playing music. So do you think maybe in a way that having your roadmap setting mm-hmm. up this tension, it's good mm-hmm. for the listeners, but it might be a tool that you're using for yourself to get yourself focused that's on true. The, the right frame of mind. Yeah, to, that's to, true. That is so true because I, I've noticed how many times in my playing what makes a solo face plant is that I'm just like thinking about things in my yeah. head. It's like you're not present. You're just like, like, what am I doing? Why am I thinking about that right now? Yeah. And it's like you can't be truly listening and improvising if that's going on in your head. So yeah. you're right. Maybe you're setting up like a meditative space with that. Like it's I th- that's yeah, kind of what's That's happening. a good way to say what I was trying to, yeah. <laughs> to get at. Yeah, that's so cool. I, I never thought about it that way. And that is exactly what's happening. You know, and, like and maybe you found something that's reliable for right, doing that. Yeah. Right, right. And, you know, I have a, and I think like once that's so, once you're hitting, because like you said, if you hit that point where there's nowhere left to go, it's all of that work you just did. It's yeah, just yeah. like, it doesn't matter <laughs> it's, it's anymore. Just down you know, from you there. Just, yeah. So I, so I have in that solo also like a way that I know I'm going to hit that high point. Yeah. Okay. You know what I mean? And it's like, I, I just kind of go to this like, like tremolo. Um, uh, Matt Davis calls it Wookie Trem. Wookie Trem? Yeah. You know, okay. I love that so oh, much. That's, so. Great. that's what he calls it. Um, so I'll kind of like go into this. You know, but I'm, I'm improvising with the melody, but I know again the tool I'm going to use. It's like there's something about this that climaxes that solo really well. Yeah. After everything else that's happened, it's like you're just building, you know, it's, and, it, and it works. And yeah. I like it. So I use it. And sometimes I overuse it. <laughs> but hey, but, yeah. but it still works. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and the Wooks love it too, you know. So. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> it's, their, it's their call. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Let's dive into even a little more. Uh, I mean, I love just picking this kind of thing apart. Yeah. You you said after you get to a point where you've, you know, want want to get on stable ground a bit and you go through yeah. some single string stuff mm-hmm. on a more general level, how do you work on doing that? Like let's say, you know, you have your what is it? C to E minor to yeah. G to D or whatever that progression was. Uh how do you take that and and figure out what your single string approach needs to be for mm-hmm. for something like that? That's where I'm just listening. Like I'll just sit in the room and I'll just hack away at it. Like I don't. I think that's one cool thing about like about art is that sometimes that's what you do. Sometimes mm-hmm. you don't know what you're doing. You're just you're just throwing stuff on the canvas, and you know what I mean. Like that. I think that's okay to do. I think yeah. sometimes really good art happens that way where. It's coming from somewhere else. It's not, sometimes you can ruin it if you do approach it too technically. Sure. Sometimes the best stuff's going to come out if you just kind of just play around and see. And what happens is I think a pattern starts to emerge that that works. Mm. And you don't, sometimes you don't know why it works. And sometimes it's good not to overthink why it works. And I, I used to not like when I would have thoughts like that. I'd be like, no, there has to be a reason. Like, like I can be a hyper-rational person. And I'd be like, I need to figure it out. But I've learned to start letting go of some of that and right. allowing music to be more magical like that. That that might sound cheesy and all that stuff, but I, sometimes I think that's the right idea. So when I'm approaching these songs, I'll just sit in the room for like an hour and just play over it. Yeah. And just see what pattern starts to emerge. So I guess I have two comments about that. I've noticed it happened the opposite way where, you know, you're, you're saying some, sometimes you played something magical and why, yeah. why does that work and you can't figure it out. Right. I've had it be where I'm playing notes that should work 
great with this progression exactly, and yeah. it just sounds like crap and i'm like right. what why right why is this not sounding right and it doesn't matter yep why just don't don't play that anymore exactly yeah um, yep but so uh, i understand what you mean about just being able to to feel the flow of it but at some point you had to put in a lot of work on your yeah. single string skills yeah. and even just what you played there's a lot of triplets yeah. happening maybe describe how you how you developed those skills and yeah. were there any like particular things that you worked on that you think yeah. made, made you a, a lot more definitely, uh, fluent with that. Yep. I've definitely hacked away at the single string stuff a lot. And where I'm trying to get now is trying to get to a place where it's blending well with other things. Because I, I don't love a solo that's... Well, there are some, some times where an all single string solo is, is the right move. But there's a lot of times where it's not. And having a good blend is, is wise. But I have definitely hacked away at like all the single string you know exercises, like just playing... You know, like that kind of stuff, and and all that kind of stuff. Playing the thirds. Um, okay. And I've done. There's one thing I love recently that that I've learned from Ryan Kavanaugh. He gives really great lessons. Should check it out for sure. Why, I, do, why do we need to when you're about to tell us? Everything? Yeah, that's true. I know. <laughs> I just ruined it. Just gave away all his secrets. I'm sorry, man. This is a cool thing, though. Um, it just really builds a, a really precise left hand and right hand, I would say. He'll play, um, this is all, so this is thumb index middle. So you'll play three notes on one string, then two, then three again. And so you'll go through the modes that way, going from D to D here. And then you'll go from C to C. Okay, I'm not, I'm not complete. I mean, I'm following the notes, but something you said with the right hand. Yeah. It's, it's a forward roll on that, basically yeah. on that one string. Yep. So you're going, the Those whole right hand pattern is thumb, index, middle, and then thumb, index, uh -huh. thumb, index, middle, thumb, index, thumb, index, middle. Okay. And it's, and it's really cool. It starts to build an insanely precise right hand. You know, <laughs> and it's... Like you hear Ryan Kavanaugh, like Whoa, just like yeah. it's, it's just insane, and I, that was really why I contacted him because I'm so interested in his right hand approach. I think it's amazing, and so that's kind of what he's done is just train himself to to use those fingers absolutely anywhere like that, yeah. you know. Kind of, and and Noam has an approach like that too, you know, with his um um like I'm sure a lot of people have been checking out his um, artist works thing, and yeah. he takes you through that whole yeah. You know, you know, which is all that stuff is so useful. And it, I think it's mostly useful for what it does to your right hand. It makes your right hand so sensitive and precise. Yeah. And it really gives you a, a touch that's invaluable, I'd say. But now, Gnome's approach is to play what you were just doing melodically, though. Yeah, but, he's but got, you've taken the same patterns and, yep, and transferred yep. them over to yep. the, to that Ryan Kavanaugh right hand. Yeah, I would. I I want to hit it from all angles, really. Yeah. Like I like because Gnome's got that cell theory that you know is just so good. And then yeah. he'll extend it, you know, and then he'll, that's so useful because it keeps things sounding banjo-y, right. all that stuff. But I think. I mostly am interested in it for what it does to your right hand technique. Um, just being able to do that uh, really smooth, you know, which I'm not achieving. <laughs> it's, and it's really cool because 
there was a period of my playing like with the single string stuff where I got stuck in these little boxes like like this is a this is that second uh, first inversion of the G yeah. that we know about um, I'm on the ninth fret here playing that common G shape uh, and I got like into these kind of things and I learned all those you know sure but then I was like stuck in these little which is fine but it's also good to see the neck kind of vertically I felt like when I was doing a lot of that and nothing else I was seeing the neck horizontally like I just see these little boxes if that makes sense horizontally hmm. versus vertically um, and I know that Wes has a solution for this too which is like he sees this as a position I'm playing like a G chord but it's a more spread out version where you've got the G in the bass I've got a D on the seventh fret of the third string and then I've got a B on the ninth fret of the first string yeah and he so he sees that as a position all that and then he sees this one as a position um uh, sorry and then he sees this as a position and I think that doing this yeah. exercise achieves that too and what I like about it is so I mod I modified I'm on a bit of a rant here but I'll sum this up I, I modified this a little bit, this thing Ryan Kavanaugh showed me, by combining it with those other traditional scales. So, like, I'll go down, I'll descend with what he showed me, and then I'll ascend with those kind of old single-string positions that I learned. And then I'll go down with his again. And then I'll go back up with... Um, oh, interesting. So then, you, so then you've... Once you do it that way, you're hitting those kind of vertical and more horizontal scales at the same time. So you're really like hitting right. every, you know, from all angles. So that's been really helpful for me. That's something people could try. I, I really like doing that before I play, before I go on stage, because it just sets your right hand into a good place. Yeah. But, and left yeah. hand, it seems like. And left hand, because you got to like really be agile with mm -hmm. that it's yeah yeah it's yeah it seems like it's a good it's a way to exercise. take these chunks like most people think of those inversions or positions as mm -hmm. discrete things and this is a way of connecting them together yeah. it seems like yeah I, I think it works really well to to really map the entire neck like every nook and cranny of it yeah it's really helped me so yeah wow well you've just given me homework for the next like two years or <laughs> it's something hard like man it's really really hard yeah that's cool yeah we, let's talk about your your gear and yeah. your instrument and your banjo and mm -hmm. stuff. Tell me what you have there. This is a yeah. this is a cool looking banjo. So the story is when I was really young, I guess I was like maybe fifteen or or something, because this banjo says Williams on the peghead, uh -huh. and that's because a really amazing uh, dude named Will Williams who builds banjos out of Idaho. I don't I don't know if he's still building, but um, he built me a banjo. I had a really crappy like two hundred dollar starter banjo. Yeah. Not hating on that if that's what you have. Everyone starts there. But I, it was it was clear that I needed a, a good instrument. You know, I've been working really hard. And he noticed. And he just built me a Williams banjo. Oh, wow. And gave it to me at a festival. That's incredible. Yeah. And it was like, it was just he put it together out of parts that just had like cosmetic issues. Okay. But like, who cares? You yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> still a, yeah. <laughs> and so like, the, like, this still has that original resonator. And you see it's got like some dings and stuff. So... Wait, th um, this is the one that he gave you? So, n yes and no. Okay. Like, the resonator's the same, the tone ring and rim are the same. Okay. I changed it into a top tension, put this top tension Pruka hardware on here. It is a Pruka rim and tone ring also. So, it's ba this banjo is essentially a Pruka pot and a Robin Smith neck. Okay. But, so yeah, Will kind of gave me the foundation, and then when I got inspired by Gnome's playing, I wanted the top tension, and I met him, and 
played his banjo and I was just obsessed with the neck. And so I called Robin Smith. I was, I was like 15, 16 years old. I was like, just build me that neck. The same thing. I want it. And, um, it's been great, but what I've realized over time is it's actually too chunky for me, this neck. Huh. Gnome has a really wide neck because, I mean, anyone who's seen him, he has huge hands. Yeah, he's and, got some mitts. Yeah, and I've got pretty big hands, but it's still like doing like kind of like this kind of stuff, like the grabbing the fist string with the thumb and all that, like that kind of thing. It's putting, it's creating too much left hand tension for me because the neck's too wide. So I'm having to work too hard to, to do those things. So I, I'm, looking for a solution to that eventually but this is an amazing instrument and a robin smith built an incredibly beautiful neck he was the master so yeah basically pruka pot robin smith neck um, and i guess also to just to clarify and this is what i was maybe referring to earlier when you said we're all using the same fingerboard yours even has that mm-hmm. the gnome uh, yeah it's got the extension extension yep so the so that which is a cool thing but also created a problem for me that i'm also trying to resolve right now because I don't like how short this bridge is. I want a taller bridge, but as I put the taller and taller bridge on, the action gets unplayable for my preferences, and you can mitigate that with all kinds of things that we all know about, but it really is destructive to the tone to my ear. Okay. Like when I start tightening that coordinator rod in there and start adjusting the truss rod, it just gets really thin and plinky. Mm. I want that wide open, warm, like Bela sound. That's why, you, yeah, that's why you got this yeah. style of instrument in the first yeah, place. Yeah, that's what I'm after. So what needs to happen is somebody needs to cut the heel to adjust the neck angle, right. which if you're out there, please, I will pay a handsome price because <laughs> I've called so many people and nobody wants to do that job. Huh. Um, so I would love well, that if somebody would do that. I, apparently, it's a very, very sensitive issue, especially because people, like when I tell them it's a Robin Smith neck, they're like, oh, oh right. yeah. So... Um, Apparently, it's a pretty tricky thing, especially with this extension. But basically, what I'm saying about that extension is that it raises the neck off the oh, instrument quite a lot. Yeah. Higher, look at how thick that is. Well, right. But I'm, I guess I'm also realizing that as soon as you change that neck angle, now all of a sudden, the fingerboard yeah, extension is going to be, be like a ramp. Stuff going on. So somebody, Ugh. yeah. So, but it's really what needs to happen. And because I still, it's so weird, like even... With this bridge on, that's not, it's lower than a three fourths. I just put this on the other day because I liked how it sounded and felt. I had a Purcell bridge on there that was a three fourths. Those Purcell bridges sound amazing, mm-hmm. but it was, it was hard to play. And I've tried every trick in the book to mitigate the action issue and it's just not working. So I, I, I just need that neck and you'll just go the slightest bit. Yeah. And then it would be like, it would play like butter, you know, but. So I'm trying to figure that out. So if you're out there and want to work on my banjo. Okay, <laughs> there you go. Uh, t- take us through everything else, what you're using for yeah, yeah. bridge picks mm-hmm. and, and anything else that you're uh, partial I've, to. Yeah, I've always just used the Nationals. I love them. I, I can't use anything else. I, I've tried and I just, I can't change. And I, these I've are current everything. model Nationals? Yeah, just like modern Nationals. And I just can't play okay. with anything else. I've tried all the hip stuff and I'm just like, I can't do it. I just am so hooked. I've always used these since I was 11 years old. Yeah. I've never done anything else, and Fair I can't enough. change it. The blue chip pick is sounds incredible. I like how it feels. Um, so I've always used the blue chip. Uh, strings, I've got 10, 11, 14, 22, 10. Okay. I like the way that that 14 feels. It's a little beefier. Yeah, it's, it, it's too floppy if I go with the 13. I like how the 13 sounds better, but... Like when you're playing, like that kind of thing. Okay. Like these little, 
like three fingers on one string type of thing. It's too floppy for me with the 13. Okay. I, I don't, and especially when I start playing live and you're digging in a little more, I just can't handle that 13, so I put the 14 on there because it sounds okay. kind of weird, right, to go 10, 11, 14. It's kind of a mix of like a lighter and medium, but right. I, I like how that feels, so that's what I've been using. Cool. Um, what other gear kind of things? Is there something I'm missing maybe? I mean, you have capo and a tailpiece and stuff, but only yeah, if it's like pretty something that you've Elliot th- thought about. Yeah, yeah Elliot capo and just the Pruka standard tailpiece with the cap removed like we're all doing these days. Yeah, yeah. yeah. How about like stage gear, pickups, mm-hmm. microphones, uh, yeah. snot boxes, and any, any of that stuff? Yeah, I'm definitely not a gearhead. I mean, like all that stuff makes me feel like I just know nothing. So my thing is I've got the Fishman pickup, and then I use the Audio Technica clip-on microphone, mm-hmm. and and uh, have those signals independent in my ears, and can adjust them. Oh, so it's not a blended signal in my ears. I can yeah. mute the mic if I want. Like if the room is just nasty, I can yeah. just mute that and turn my pickup up. So I have complete control over how much of those I'm hearing in my in-ear monitors. Yeah, um, which is really nice because sometimes you get to just use that microphone, and that's a nice day. Then I just use the Grace Di. Um, Felix and that's about it man I don't have any effects like all I'm trying to do right now like because I'm super new to this still yeah like the touring thing and, and playing playing this often is I'm just trying to get my in-ear mix to be perfect which is never going to be but I'm just trying I'm still trying to learn the basics here you know like I'm not getting effects and going crazy and stuff yet. right I'm, right I'm just you know and really at the end of the day all I want is for it to sound good I, I'm just yeah. not interested in effects and stuff I just don't I just you know, maybe reverb would be fine and stuff, but maybe delay, like basic stuff. But I'm not a gearhead or interested. Not in just yet, maybe. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Maybe yeah, it's gonna happen. Yeah, maybe it'll get me at some point. I'll catch that bug finally. But so yeah, if you're if you're giving yourself both the the mic and the pickup individually, does that mean you're also sending both to front of house and, and a yes. sound guy? They I don't know if you travel with your own sound guy. Yep, yeah, we we yeah we, we're working with a couple different guys right now, but. Yeah, they have complete control over that, and so and I trust them. They do a great job. So, yeah, I, I feel like I can not worry about it. Yeah, because you know, at first I was like, no, I have to send a blend, blended signal because I'm, mm, you know, they're going <laughs> to make sure it's right. Mute my microphone. They're going to crank that pick. I know it. You know, yeah. but, uh, they, but don't. they don't. As no, far as you know, no, especially <laughs> um, our guy Waltman. He's he's amazing, and he he knows how I am about this. Okay, <laughs> so he's yeah he's he's on top of it, and so I trust them fully, and they do an amazing job. That's awesome. Yeah. Anything else I forgot to ask you about your your playing or your uh, mm. um, your your background? Any any anything else that's interesting that that people should know or advice of how to how to play like Caleb Dostal? Yeah, man, I don't think so. I feel like this was a, a good a good situation, man. I'm, I'm I'm really thankful to be doing this. To be honest, this is a really cool thing you do. It brings the community together. It uh, um, brings all of us goofy banjo players together and yeah that's my favorite part yeah, of it's it, so sure. it's so cool man it's so cool to to have this opportunity so thank you um it has been a lifelong dream of mine to be on an esoteric banjo podcast i, I did it i'm glad i'm I can so make it thrilled happen. about this you can, <laughs> not you can retire now yeah, the, yeah. it's over yeah. uh i guess lastly then tell us like websites and how to how to track you down and come see you play yeah, so you can just check out the Little Smokies website um, or Facebook, Instagram, all that stuff. The Little Smokies, L I L. And yeah, we're we're cruising around all over the place, so we'll be in a city near you, no doubt. That's my main thing. Um, 
And so, yeah, just keep your eyes peeled on that on that tour. We'll we'll be out at Telluride, which is a dream come true. Oh wow! I yeah. cannot believe I'm going to walk out on that stage. It's it's that's the definition of my dream come true to play that stage. So, um, yeah. yeah by, the, come, by the time this is out, you probably will have yeah. already already done that. That's yeah. great. That's just in a few weeks, right? Yeah, real soon. So yeah. that's going to be a moment. Yeah. So if you're out there, come come see us doing that. That's going to be. We're all thrilled beyond belief to do that. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, but we'll be around. We're we're turning pretty hard, so come That's check great. us out. Yeah. Well, thanks again for your time, man. Been a, no. especially given the the lack of sleep circumstances. <laughs> Glad between you yeah. and the coffee, we yeah. we could we could make this happen. No, thank you, man. Again, this is such a special thing you do. So thank you for doing it and working hard at it. It's it's so cool, man. My pleasure. Thank you so much for listening, folks. The sound clips you heard in this episode were Fortunes by the Lil Smokies, Toy Heart by the Bluegrass Album Band, The First Movement from The Blind Leaving the Blind by the Punch Brothers, Sharpest Edges and Then Decades, both by Lil Smokies, and then Don't Let Your Deal Go Down by Flatten Scruggs. Thank you once again to Willie Spence, today's Hall of Honor Patreon supporter of the show. Head over to patreon.com slash banjo podcast to support the show yourself but that's going to do it for me i'll see you all next time Uh